I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. And thank you very much for joining us on What's Next. This morning, we're going to talk about mental health, but we're going to get into it with a a little more maybe specificity regarding mental health issues as they have uh, emerged on Buffalo's east side. That's a little bit on the specific side of things, but most certainly an overall conversation about mental health. From Walking Through Solutions, we have with us LaShawn Davis. LaShawn, thanks for joining us. thank you. And also Deja Middlebrook. Thank you. All right, so you formed Walking Through Solutions, and this has roots, unfortunately, in um, a great tragedy of May 14th, uh, 2022, at the Tops Market. What did you see, LaShawn, that kind of spurred on this effort to start walking through solutions? Um, With that trauma, it it affected a lot of people of color, and we went out to provide counseling to the area, and when I got there, it was not enough counselors of color um, and that was very traumatic for that community as well as for me because I felt like, you know, you need to be able to express yourself and feel like you're heard. And I think whether you're of color or not, you can hear, but just for the population, they needed to feel like somebody could relate to them. And there so, needed to be a comfort level. Yes. And with that, I said, you know, we need to do, I need to do more. Wow. Wow. You took it upon yourself. So how about the roots for you then, Deja? Yeah, similar to what LaShawn said, um, we wanted to create a safe space for people of color. Um, The black community was a friend of mine because of everything that happened in Buffalo, but the minority community as a whole, um, because there are racial issues um, that specifically affect people of color. And also, um, it was just important for us to be able to say that and say it boldly, which Unfortunately, now it's a space in the community where we can say we are here for people of color. And but prior to this incident, we didn't really have the the option of saying that and, right. as, you know, to be supported. Uh-huh. <laughs> why, why did you why would, was that the case? I felt like people felt like um, people of color had a, it was a stigma where they felt like, you know, they didn't really understand mental health. Um, once this happened. Seeing the situation, they understood the depression they went through, the traumatic event, how it affected their lives, their everyday lives. So they were more open to hear about mental health. And because it happened in our community, they were the, I guess, our surroundings were able to say, you know, they need more counselors of color. It was more acceptable. I, I, I appreciate that. And I, I will look at it as, as a positive development. If you could maybe share to a certain extent, you can be as general as you want, but some of the things maybe that were being expressed in the community after the tragedy, what were you hearing? Um, people were fearful, um, and they were they were scared. They were fearful. They were depressed. They had anxiety where they couldn't sleep. They didn't know. They were overeating, or some people weren't eating just because it was right 
right in their hometown. So it felt like this can happen again. It, it was targeted directly at people of color. So it was a lot of fear. Hmm. So you, you, you guys feel you know, you're experiencing this together. But that's one thing to experience together and see what's happening. And that's another to go out and start your own LLC and uh, come up with uh, walking through solutions. Um, just, the, just the ambition to go out and do that. Uh, we, we'll maybe get into your story a little bit more, Deja, later on. Mm -hmm. But just uh, take us through then, you know, actually getting this started, going from, well, this, could, this is a need to we're doing this. Yeah, so this really came from the, the community's outcry for mm. therapists of color. Um, so the process was really, LaShawn really was the, the starter of this and she brought me in. Um, she said, Hey, like, I really want to do this. I want to expand. I feel like, you know, the community is ready for us to create this environment and services that specifically benefit our community, um, being women and people of color ourselves. So we did that, um, as far as, um, some of the work in the beginning, we had our soft launch in July, which was National Minority Mental Health Month. We partnered with a local minority-owned business, which was Princess's Art Studio on Hurdle. Um, and we wanted to do it there because we wanted to have the conversation about mental health in a way that's not a sterile environment. Mm -hmm. And to get people to, to show up and have a nice, relaxed conversation about, let's be let's be serious. This is this is a, a nationwide problem, but in Buffalo, it's, it's been exacerbated by the incident. What... Well, um so that that soft launch, it's I'm intrigued by that. So you, people obviously showed up mm -hmm. and showed support. What was the the event like? I, like you said, it sounds like you didn't want it to be too serious, but it's still obviously a very serious serious issue here. Yeah. So we had um, so like I said, it was at Princess's Art Studio, um, which is really nice. She has like all different um, cultural art different you know um she does like painting classes and things like that so some people are familiar with that location in the community um but we had like snacks we had um like non-alcoholic beverages uh -huh. we did a presentation um we did two presentations just so that people were coming and going they could come and hear what we are offering to the community um and then they can leave and go on about their day because we wanted people to stop by and get to know us and ask us any questions that they wanted to ask. It was a free event. We posted it on social media um, and we did some ads and that, that sort of thing. Yeah, our goal was to eliminate the stigma to let them know that mental health is you not taking care of your mind, which causes physical health. So our, we were just an introduction of what our services were. Um, we talked about this before we went on the air, but LaShawn, you've been in the mental health field for 20-plus um, years now, right? Yes. And Deja, you're relatively new to it, but you're, like we said, you graduated from a McKinley <laughs> yeah. Jr., so you're off. You, you, you I'm still in my 20s. So. still in your 20s, <laughs> but you've already got a lot of experience behind you. Uh, I want to talk, talk about that difference just a little bit. Um, compare and contrast. What maybe your different experiences bring to the practice? Okay, I think my experience from the mental health, just dealing with the addiction, the mental health itself has a lot to come to it. But my perspective on it is um, that, you know, people can change, people can learn, and just the medication and not medication, where mine is more old school, mm -hmm. where when Deja comes in, she's more newer school she's open to trying new things compared to doing the same thing so she's opened my eyes to a lot 
I try to be innovative in my approach because I think um, my generation, millennials are more open to seeking therapy and it's less shame around it. Um, but I like to have the conversation about shame and vulnerability with people because we some people don't know how to be vulnerable right. and to sustain healthy relationships, whether it's intimate relationships or within your family. You have to be able to embrace vulnerability. And maybe back in like LaShawn's time, vulnerability was seen more as a weakness and you had to be strong. You had to, you know, whether it was poverty, whether it was you had um, substance abuse in your family, domestic violence, that sort of thing. Um, child abuse, because child abuse awareness has been it's normal in my life, but in in her lifetime, it was a relatively new developing. Yeah, nobody wanted to talk about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, that's interesting that you say about vulnerability. That's a, something. If you look at uh, at your website, it, it comes up in in a couple of different uh, pieces as well. You say that you feel that the younger people are a little more open to understanding vulnerability. Yes. Um, at the same time, I would have to think that it can doesn't always make it easy. No, being vulnerable is uncomfortable by its nature. Oh, tell me about it. Um, yeah. But. Being intentional about being vulnerable can help you um, find more about yourself and have a deeper connection with others around you. So I think that vulnerability is important. And we talked about it in our October couples boot camp that we did um, with couples, because if you're not vulnerable in your intimate relationship, in your marriage, um, you can't. How well do you know that person? Right. And how well do you know yourself? Right. And when the conflict arises, if you can't be vulnerable and say, you hurt my feelings, how long does this conflict conflict linger? And what, what are, it's just damaging your relationship. What steps do you take to try to get people to open up about that concept of vulnerability? So some of the things that we started with was like, I use an emotions wheel, um, which has like a series of like, um, it's like a whole wheel has maybe like 20, 30 emotions because most people when growing up, you're taught that you can be sad, angry, happy. <laughs> like That's it. <laughs> and so like LaShawn, she um, talks about like anger in some of her work. And when people hear that, if, if I say I'm angry, I may mean I'm frustrated. I may mean that I'm feeling insecure. I may be feeling afraid. There are so many levels that um, if you get more comfortable with the spectrum of emotion, then you could be more accurate in how you communicate to, to someone else when you're feeling hurt or angry. And then they can know what you're feeling and then respond appropriately. So just to be more clear and more um, more right. accurate. Right. It's interesting, though, that you, you break it down like that because, right, you know, I guess the natural emotion, like you said, is I'm angry. But maybe mm -hmm. I'm feeling insecure, mm -hmm. I'm frustrated with something or anything like that. And you're able to walk people through that to a certain extent. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm LaShawn, as you as you hear Deja talk about this, and again, someone with a little more experience, you know, vulnerability. If someone said that was an issue twenty years ago or that's something that should be explored, I mean, how do you think A, how how would you have taken it as a professional? But B, how do you think maybe some of the people you were dealing with would have responded to that concept? Right. And people of my generation still have a problem with being vulnerable. And I know for me, I didn't know how to be vulnerable. So going into the field, I've learned, I knew how to show um, empathy and be supportive, but I didn't know how to let people know that I was hurting. 
So once I got into the school and I started doing the research and then I started having a family of my own, I wanted to be different. I wanted to be open because I grew up in a dysfunctional family, you know, where everything stays in the house. So I had learned, I, I learned different. And even with Deja growing up, it helped me understand because once she finished school, hmm. she was able to come back and <laughs> tell me my flaws. <laughs> wow. Well, one thing I always say, too, is like with generational trauma, we... We try to fix what may have been the most pressing thing in our childhood that we say, oh, maybe I didn't feel like I was hurt by my parents. So maybe you're intentional about making your kids feel hurt. But there may have been 10 other things that was wrong in your family. <laughs> you can't carry that on your back. And that's, right. what, that's, the, that's what makes our business unique because we are a mother-daughter duo. Okay. So we're navigating some of the generational traumas in our own lives, but we're able to see it and have those conversations and facilitate those conversations with families in the community to say like, it's okay. Maybe your parents didn't have it to give you. So how do you want to make it different for the next generation? Stay with us. There's more to come. This is What's Next on WBFO. Save the date for a holiday treat. Buffalo Toronto Public Media and Niagara University's Theatre Department present It's a Wonderful Life as a live radio play on Saturday, December 16th. Enjoy the magic of voice actors, music, and satirical commercials at our downtown studio. Tickets are just $15 at wned.org slash events. Did you know that WNED PBS is always working on great new local shows for you to watch? Documentaries like Kleinhand's Gift to Buffalo, which tells the story of Buffalo's music hall. The hall is very intimate, and that intimacy makes everyone who comes in here feel a part of our family. Fun and educational series like Compact Science. Believe it or not, peppers are technically fruits. And Shakespeare's greatest hits featuring some of his best-known soliloquies and monologues. We are such stuff as dreams are made of. You can watch them all on our website at wned.org slash local shows. While you're there, check out the show pages and mini websites for additional content such as bonus features, photo galleries, and lesson plans. Find it all at wned.org slash local shows. Attention parents and teachers. Find free learning resources, including lesson plans and videos for all ages at pbslearningmedia.org. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at wbfo.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We're talking uh, this morning uh, with uh, LaShawn Davis and Deja Middlebrook from uh, uh, Walking Through Solutions. And we're talking about mental health uh, here today on What's Next. Um, the concept that, you know, generational. I, I want to just explore that in, a, in this sense. Do you, is there, are there certain things, certain mental health issues and factors that have been handed down, not just from our I'm going to talk more specifically about uh, black people, minorities, mm -hmm. that aren't just from their parents, but maybe the parents before them, before them, before them, because, you know, there's a legacy, obviously, of course, yes. in the United States mm -hmm. for uh, the realities for black people. Is that something that is, it comes up as well? 
Yes, a lot of people want to know, like, um, which is the major mental health, you know, severest mental health diagnosis, like schizophrenia, bipolar. Those are normally genetics. Like, if your grandfather or your great-grandfather, as if it's in your family bloodstream, it's a possibility that you can get it. Just like... um, Diabetes, you know, is something that you can get because it's in your bloodstream. All right. So, but the, we do see that then being handed down. Yes. Mm, yes. Mm. A lot of the um, people that I've worked with in the past, once they come, we always do the genogram to find out. Let me know about your family. Let me know about your history. And it's proven that it it stems from your family. How you handle it and how it comes out may be different, but the long term is it's normally generational. You use the term also, uh, genera- I think, generational dysfunction, I think it was uh, to be more specific. Yes. Um, how, do you, how do you make somebody aware of that, right, that, that that is what's lingering inside them? Right, that we normally do the assessment. Once you come out with the assessment and we ask questions, you know, about their childhood, about their parents' childhood, stuff comes out of, well... My grandmother was ill or she heard voices or she had to take medication. And we just go off that track for them to they So they may never thought about it. But once you do the assessment and you ask the appropriate questions, it comes up and they say, wow, I never looked at it that way that my great grandmother had it. And now I have the same symptoms that they may have had. So you're able to pick up on those cues. Yes. Wow. That's um well, it's got to be quite the process to do that. Yeah, a lot of, but in counseling, a lot of times, once you start talking, you open up, you identify with things you never even thought about in your life. You know, you're like, wow, I never even looked at it that way. To make the connection, some of it is just patterns. So she talks, she's talking about like mental health diagnoses. Um, and my work is some of it is just like um, communication patterns um, and different, just how you interact. So you may have to say, oh, well, growing up, my parents, I never seen anyone cry, or if I cried, I got yelled at. And hmm. so now, when you're you're working with the parents and they're doing it to their kids, and you're like, well, why do you why do you yell at them when they're crying? And you're like, well, that's what happened. My parents did it to me, and you know, and goes back and back and back through generations. So some of that is we get to it by having those conversations and just making a connection of mm-hmm. like, oh, you said that you experienced this and you didn't like it, but you're still doing it, you know. You're still doing it. Maybe you're doing it subconsciously. You're not, you know, making a connection on your own. So like LaShawn said, some of it is just having, allowing people to open up and they're the leader of the experience when they're working with us. So we may say, oh, this is a familiar pattern. And you decide if if you want to change the pattern or if you want to keep going. I would. I definitely want to get into the, that parent boot camp that you were talking about before. But let's maybe break it down now. Um, let's look younger. For, for a little bit and you know, get into, because I know you spent uh, time in, in schools and seeing what's going on with young people. What are the young people of Buffalo facing right now that are that's impacting their, their mental health? Um, a lot of it now is, in my opinion, is the social media. Mm. So everybody has to live up to what other people are putting on social media. So that's, when they can't reach it, and they don't and they also don't communicate with each other anymore because now everything is text messaging or they don't know how to, I believe they don't know how to build relationships like in the past they built relationships they had to talk to one another they had to call on the phone so now a lot of it is 
when they sent a text message, what did you mean, you know, as compared to knowing exactly having that conversation because they don't communicate like they used to. So it's creating new communication problems. Correct. That's more communications right. creating more communication problems. Right. Now you hear uh, the uh, uh, a generation that's once removed from you here <laughs> talking about social media. What are your, What's your take on that? So I think some of the issue is instant gratification. Hmm. Um. And the need to be accessible 24-7. You see it with youth, um, with social media, if someone t- or even if text. If someone texts you, you feel like you have to text them right back. You have the read, receives, oh, they they saw, I read it like, two minutes ago, I have to respond right now. Um, we're back in the day, if you weren't home when someone called, they got to wait till you get home. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and with social media, I think it's this false sense of reality because you shape the narrative when you have a social media platform and for young people I think that they think it is reality um and I think even if it's body image whether it's um people who show that they have a lot of money they live a luxurious lifestyle they travel a lot and now you look at your life and you're like hmm what's wrong with me why can't I live like that and the realist and the thing is sometimes that person may have took a trip but you don't know what they're going home to Mm-hmm. You don't know if they spent their last or not. So I think that it shapes, you know, um, what they think is normal in a way that is kind of it exposes them to more options as far as making money to become a social mogul, that sort of thing. But like the the day to day, I think it can be damaging, especially for teenagers. Mm-hmm. Do you find uh, how do you then maybe take that? Do you see do you see that issue with some of the younger clients and? How do you try to bring that perspective like you were just saying? How do you try uh, how do you go about doing that because like you said everybody's on social media, right? I mean that's I mean I'm not <laughs> I'm not over speaking it there, especially if you're younger, you're on social media. I think in some regards if you told if you told a younger person they need to c- cut back or get rid of social media, they might think like you're uh you're cutting off their oxygen to a certain extent. Yeah, I, for me, I talk about boundaries a lot. Mm. Um, because social media can be a beautiful platform. If you're a business owner, if you have ideas, you can learn from other people. It's a sense of community. So I think that it can be used valuably, but I think having boundaries are important because people don't always realize, like, social media, you post something online, and you can see it now in cancel culture. You post something online now, in 20 years, they might bring it up, and (laughs) you're like, I didn't, you know, it was a joke or whatever, but I think that especially with the abundance of social media platforms and that um, intense need to just be active online. I think that people aren't keeping things private. So whether if you're in a, a dispute with your partner or your friend, the whole community doesn't need to know. You have control over the narrative on social media. And I think that people think that everything is for the public. And that's that's scary. Do you talk about ways to, to try to use it? Like you said, it can be, I'll quote you, a beautiful thing. I like the way you said that because we most certainly have seen that. So are there practices that you try to advise younger clients when it comes to this type of thing? Right. We do empowerment groups where we talk to our youth and we have them sit down and write what their future plans are. And so we have them what their, you know, research that. And who is your role model in social media? Like, who is that? And they look it up. They give us the information. Then we have them compare. Who's your role model in your life? So then they can look and contrast and compare what's real and what's not. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and we also, and what like the city of Buffalo has a lot of mentoring programs out there for youth. So we encourage them to use that so they're not just constantly on social media. They're interacting with other youth. And we try to bring groups in where they're sending with their peers and we have to talk. Like, no phones. No phones at all. We're no going to communicate mm-hmm. with each other. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, the mentoring programs. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up about mentoring programs. And there are, there do seem to be a certain amount of them. Uh, you advise the young people of Buffalo, especially uh, maybe the kids who come from uh, underprivileged backgrounds? Yes, we do. We encourage it as much as possible. And um, we also, where I work now, we do a leadership program. And we have between 100 to 150 youth that come in, but they get paid. So it's a summer youth job. Okay. And they can't use their phones. But with that, they meet up to 100 new peers, and they do groups on finances. We break them up into groups to figure out what their future plans are, how money work, um, soft skills. We teach them as much as we can, and then we build relationships within those groups. And you're finding positive results. Yes, a lot of positive results. Yeah, I see you shaking your head vigorously in yes. Yes, I did work with her in her program um, a few years ago. Um, I think the exposure for that group because the age group with the kids are 14 and 15 years old Mm -hmm. this is their first job um so they're learning um my role when i worked with her i was more like attendance you need to be on time you need to dress appropriately if you're going to be late you need to let us know just getting them work ready um because we're it's an easy environment because we know that this is their first job but post that job you're going to have a real job where they may not be as flexible with you so we want to expose them to what career paths there may be out there but also summer jobs and how to um, get a part-time job and balance it while you're in school we we talked a little bit about social media but when it comes to a 14 or 15 year old what are some of the other factors especially maybe even local factors um, impacting mental health for that age group I know in the school systems, there's a lot of students that become like little cliques or little groups, and they leave other people out. Mm -hmm. So it's traumatic for the ones who are left out. And sometimes the ones that are in it don't really want to be part of a negative group, but they don't want to be left out. So when they experience different traumatic, you know, they see people crying or they may get into a fight just because they're part of that group. It becomes very um, traumatizing for them because then when they come back or they get in trouble at home or they get suspended from school and they were really good students. So those are those are things that I've been running into recently is that you want to be part of a group. You want to be you want to have friends. So sometimes you don't always have the opportunity to pick the positive group because those are the ones that's quiet and stay to themselves. I think, too, some of it um, building on the social media and like that the clicks and the bullying. I think the challenge now is that bullying extends beyond the school setting with social media. So um, there's no sense of privacy. If you, um, even with texting, you may have a conversation with someone via text and it can be shared in a group text and now everyone in the school has it or whether it's, you know, whatever social media platform that they're into. Um, And it can be scary because for youth, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to um, like someone or not like someone and trying to navigate even like a body image um, and even like health, um, hidden puberty. You have different smells, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> just navigating that. Um, some things that before you may have had a bad day and it, you know, would have went away. Now with the social media, if it's captured, whether you get into a fight at school and it's captured online, now that's, 
it's always out there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's hard to escape for some of the youth. And we have a lot of youth that um, have suicidal ideations where they think they don't want to be here anymore. And they have easy ways to get out. They'll take pills because it's so accessible. Um, Just a lot of emotions that they deal with and they feel like people don't understand them or relate to what they're going through because everybody else is not going through it. And they don't have a platform to talk. So that's what we are trying to create. And they do have mentoring programs that have created that platform as well. You know, Deja, it wasn't that long ago that you were a 14 <laughs> or 15-year-old getting ready to graduate from McKinley High School. But um, can you reflect now with your experience in, in the mental health field and you know, take yourself back to what you were facing in those, in those days? We're making it sound so long ago. It wasn't yeah. that long ago. But you know, what, you know, what that was like and perhaps maybe, you know, you know, skills that you developed that help you guide guide your way through that? I think in high school, some of the challenges for at least me and my friends would be like um, people want to look dressed nice. Mm. So clothes are expensive. Um, I was privileged in a way that I didn't have to really worry about if I wanted like a pair of sneakers came out, some Jordans came out. I My parents were able to afford it. But if you when you are in an environment, especially McKinley, where it's a mix of low income with speckles of higher income people, um, those kids, those parents, the pressure was on them to keep them being able to fit in. And so if your parents couldn't afford it, now you're resorting to other unhealthy means to get what you need. So you, it's not apparent that you may be struggling financially or even working. Some kids had to work. I worked because I wanted extra money. I wanted to have autonomy and be able to, you know, just do things with my friends. But other people had to work because they had to help their parents with bills or that sort of thing. Um, that was one of the biggest things. Then, like, peer pressure. Um, so, for me, I like I said, I worked through with Team Reality Theater through Planned Parenthood. So, I was a peer educator as far as reproductive health, decision-making, um, peer pressure, that sort of thing. So, that kind of helped me as well navigate certain situations better because I was literally getting educated every week on like (laughs) these things can happen uh date rape that sort of thing like they were teaching us and exposing us to that thing um that type of thing early where other people didn't know so you're learning from your friends and if your friends don't know it's the blind leading the blind and then you know (laughs) it just gets messy well uh, counseling is not necessarily giving advice right it's it's trying to help a person find their own answers right to navigate through their struggles that's true and most a lot of people do think that it's just us giving advice and that's what we go to the community to say no you're the expert on your own life you decide where you want to go we're just here to help you navigate and walk the path and give you tools to be able to get where you want to go so rather than advice then for the younger people what are the tools what are the tools that you might suggest to whether um, probably not a 15-year-old necessarily listening to this radio show, but there might be some parents, <laughs> some parents. Uh, parents and interested parties as well. What are some of the things that m- might be helpful for younger people as they, they deal with a very difficult time? There's no doubt about it. It's mm-hmm. a lot more complicated, it seems, than it was back in my, those days when I was at that age. Right. I think that using the resources that's available, like joining a mentoring program, getting involved in sports or outside extracurricular Um, also talking to someone because you don't have to go to counseling. Counseling is a a safe space for you 
but open it up to your parents. Open it up to find a teacher or a neighbor or somebody that's in an organization that you work with that you can open up and say, you know, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling hurt, or, you know, just so you can open up and express your emotions. And journaling is really good yeah. for um, for youth. If you don't have a person or you're trying to find a person that you feel safe to talk to, journal. And you can reflect and you'll see your own growth without anyone else even knowing. I like the way your eyes just sparked <laughs> up when you said that. It sounds like maybe you have personal experience with the... I like journaling. Yeah? Um, I actually What did you have... find out about yourself journaling? So I read my journal from high school, from freshman year, um, maybe a year, maybe not even a year ago, because it was an attic and I was looking through some stuff. And I'm like, Wow. I was I thought this was the like worst day of my life. Or like, you know, like <laughs> this was such a big deal and I'm like this was not even a big deal. Like I survived this and like look at me now. I thought it was like a major crisis and it's like it's just high school drama, you know. Right. Right, right. It's, but at the time, it, yeah. it seemed a lot larger than that. How about that? But I think seeing the growth and just seeing like where you were and then versus how you would handle the situation now um is definitely eye-opening. Thanks for joining us today. This is What's Next on WBFO. More to come right after this. This is the Buffalo Toronto Public Media History Bite, bringing you a peek into significant historical events for the week of December 4th through December 10th. I'm your host and program director, Tom Barich. December 4th, 1939, the Buffalo Sabres have this day to commemorate because this was the day that the American Hockey League grants an, at the time, unnamed franchise to the city of Buffalo. A big happy birthday goes out to Johnny Resnick of the Goo Goo Dolls, who was born on December 5th, 1965. And let's stick with performing arts for a while, because quite a few high-profile artists performed in Western New York on the date of December 6th, starting with none other than dancer and choreographer Martha Graham, who performed at the State Teachers Auditorium on the campus of Buffalo State on December 6th, 1935. The Belfast cowboy Van the Man Van Morrison gave a performance at the Clark Gym on the campus of SUNY Buffalo, December 6, 1970, and the First Lady of Song, Ella Fitzgerald, performed at Kleinhans Music Hall on December 6, 1974. And here's a very recent one that is still making news. December 9, 2021, the Elmwood Avenue Starbucks becomes the first unionized Starbucks in the nation. You've been listening to the WBFO History Bite. Discover more stories about Western New York's past on the Buffalo History Museum's website, Learn more at buffalohistory.org. For Buffalo Toronto Public Media, I'm Tom Barich. Listen to Mindful Music Saturdays at 4 p.m. and Sundays at 8 p.m. on WBFO. Hey, is this thing on? Test, test, one, two. Sounds great. Let's go. The podcast world is overflowing with more than 750,000 podcasts to choose from. But for great local podcasts, you can now go to one place, the new Amplified BTPM Pods app. Here, you can discover content produced in Western New York and Southern Ontario, our own backyard. With a wide variety of genres to choose from, there is something for everyone. Listen to the best independently produced podcast in the region anywhere, anytime. Download the free Amplify BTPM Pods app wherever you get your apps and begin exploring your local podcast community now. You're listening to What's Next our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? 
email us using what's next at wbfo.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We are talking with LaShawn Davis and Deja Middlebrook from uh, uh, Walking Through Solutions. We're talking about mental health uh, today. We So we covered the kids a little bit here. Let's switch gears and talk about um, some of the um, other parents or, or married couples. I know like we were talking about the, the boot camp that you had. Um, whole different set of responsibilities, whole different set of realities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are we seeing? With... Um what our boot camp, our goal was, because we see so many people get married or get into relationships and have children, and then they're struggling because it's like, wow, I got to go to work. Especially young people, I got to go to work every day now. I'm an adult, and I got to be a parent. And like, Where is my time? So we try to provide them with tools of being able to communicate with each other, knowing how to communicate, how to be vulnerable, as we talked about earlier Um and we do um, different techniques with them, like meditation, because that's important to sit down and meditate and have some your own time where you're doing self-care. We talk about how to provide self-care for yourself. We also talk about parenting when you have your, because your children feel when you come in and you're stressed out, your children feel it. <laughs> so we talk about, you know, getting them involved and stuff, even if it's like a their friend or a family member that has another kid so you can have your time but they're also getting fun time so it's not like oh i need a break do stuff together with your kids and have structure in your family you were talking about the boot camp before uh deja i think it was before we went on the air and some of the things that you saw like reactions and uh, explore that for us and show me tell me what you saw yeah so i love working with couples because because when you're working with an individual, sometimes they can paint the picture that the other people around them are the problem. And sometimes they are, but sometimes it is you who are cho- choosing people in your life <laughs> that keep bringing up the same problem or triggering you to be that version of yourself. So when you're working with a couple, they're a mirror of each other. And I can see in real time, okay, this is this is how <laughs> the, the energy shifted. <laughs> so I like that. And I'm able to p- point it out, and then they can see it happening in real time and say, oh, okay, so when we're in a situation like this, how can we um, pivot to stay on track? So a lot of it is like conflict resolution skills, um, vulnerability like we discussed, um, building trust, communication. So um, communicating effectively. So we break down what communication looks like, body language, your tone. Um, and we do a lot, of, a lot of workshops, like a lot of the activities was about tone because you can say the same thing, but it's how you say it. Oh. <laughs> it is how you say it 100% of the time. Right. Um, and so just being able to communicate when you're happy, but also how to communicate when conflict arises um, and keeping that same level of respect for your partner. Um, because sometimes people, when they're upset, they're... I was upset, so I just said that. I, I exploded. Um, please disregard that. And it's like, no, you want to talk to them, treat them how you want them to feel every time. And that's hard. Absolutely. The what's, what, is the, what are the ground rules for the, the parent boot camp? I, I'd be interested in that because I would have to think there might be some people who might be just a little reluctant to come to 
a session like that. So there's, I mean, you talk about safe spaces. I mean, you, you definitely have some work to do, I would think, with some people. With ours, we had where the females were like, oh, yeah, we need to work on this relationship. <laughs> and the males were like, oh, I'll come. No, we had one who was like switched. Oh, yeah, we had yeah. one. <laughs> it was switched. Right. Right. But once they came and we did the role plan and we did um, the activities to help them open up and they found out. Even not pointing fingers. Whatever you say the problem is, we're going to help you work through that problem. At the end, they were like, wow, this wasn't bad. This was good. And they were like, we took home because we give them homework assignments. So like, wow, we did this and it really worked. And so we say, you know, you got to keep doing this. And so I think we got great feedback because the males who didn't want to come, they were like, hmm. Now they're like, wow, this was great. We really needed it. And um, and even if the females was like, I'm glad they opened up, but they learned everybody learned something about themselves. And the and the way that we structured it is, half of the it's a four week boot camp. Every other week is going to be um, one on ones with us and the couple, and then it's a group setting with all the couples, and then it's the one on one again, and then it's the group setting, and we do like a graduation um, for people that you know everyone who stuck it out the full course. So um, I think the group sessions were very integral because. People said that, oh, I didn't know that other people had this problem. Um, and just hearing other people sharing their stories, um, sharing, you know, the issues that they're facing, it was eye-opening for them. So I wanted it to be, we wanted it to be open to all levels of couples, whether you're a new couple, whether you're an old couple, whether you're a couple that maybe your kids just graduate, you know, are older and you're trying to find that that balance again. Um, it was really great. We had a good mix. And I think that it was very impactful because of the the most um how engaged they were I'm like you get what you put in if you want to open up we can help you if you don't that's on you it's right. up to you <laughs> all right um mental health in your connection with your the people you work with of course very sensitive private well i was curious about when you when you were saying about people find you know they they they, they say a problem and it kind of pops up. I'm wondering if the, not. I don't want to necessarily get into specific couples and yeah. all that, but are there are, are there maybe one or two types of things that are kind of general that seem to pop up with some frequency? The types of issues that uh, that they're dealing with. So communication was the biggest okay. thing, um, and some of it is hidden expectations. Some of it is um, you want your partner to meet, read your mind. Um, some people that have been together a long time, they're like they should know. When I'm upset, and I'm like, I mean, they it sounds may... like you just mentioned my my marriage, but that's but story. sometimes it's like maybe they know you're upset, but they don't know why. Right? right. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that criticism a few times. Okay. And we all do it. So the the thing too is like with the the marriage bootcamp, we're both married people, but we're not selling you on our marriage. We're selling you on your own marriage and just the skills on how to navigate. Um, like we said, the vulnerability piece. Um, being able to break down if you need to. Your partner should be your safe space. If you feel like you can't be vulnerable around your partner, then, I mean, this may not be the the relationship for you. And that was the high reality that we had to tell people. Some people were like, well, what if we keep having the same problem? You have to decide, is this relationship serving you? Mm -hmm. And that's a boundary for you to set because you can't control the other person. It's a dance Mm -hmm. between you two. LaShawn, you made uh, mention of uh, role-playing. Mm-hmm. How does it, 
to express that for me, what 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 you what you see in these sessions when you do that? Because in the sessions they'll role play their partner. Oh boy! And then their partner is like. <laughs> Wow, that is me. I mean, it's like more of an eye opener. Our program was pretty much where people were like, I do that, but. So we had to help them eliminate that, but. So we were like, well, you know, why do you do it? And then I think when we do the person-centered and we do the one-on-ones with them, they're able to identify, you know, wow, I do kind of create these arguments or I do walk in the room and expect you to know that I'm sad and I want you to come and pamper me without communicating. And we said, like, the thing, too, with the household, um, sometimes, especially going out into the world, um, and like I said, we work with primarily, we work with everyone, but our boot camp was uh, mostly people of color. Um, We talked about some of the systemic issues that they have to face out in the outside world, and then when you come home, sometimes your partner or your family don't get the best version of you. Uh, Maybe you're exhausted, you're tired, maybe you felt like... um, you had to deal with microaggressions all day or you didn't maybe you were turned down for a job or whatever other um, issues you may have um, outside in the outside world. You bring that home and it affects the energy in your household. And so we we're just talking about being mindful of that and how to be intentional about connecting. Even mm-hmm. if it's a hard day, you want to connect and recharge together or creating a space where you say, hey, I'm having a bad day. I need to do some self-care so that you're not lashing out on the people in your household because you had a bad day. Right. Um, I want to transfer because I think when you t- just mentioned microaggressions, this uh, brings up something that you talked about before we went on the air. I thought it was an interesting kind of a connection between social justice yeah. and mental health. I'd really like to get into this. Um, one thing we didn't, we haven't mentioned about Deja, not only as a licensed social worker, but uh, um, already has her JD from <laughs> yes. UB Law and yes. is waiting for her for the bar exam. And uh, I don't know how you do it, Deja, but anyway, that's another story. Um, but yeah, I'm interested in, in getting some perspective here on, on that, how uh, the, the connection, you would say, between social justice and mental health. Yeah, so it's definitely an intersection between race, class, and gender. Um, so if you think about, say, a minority woman who lives in an inner city, um, whether they have an educational background or not, it limits their opportunity for jobs. So sometimes, like, people that are low income, they have a lot of stressors, whether it's a transportation barrier. It may take them longer to get to work, so now they have to get up earlier, so they're using more of their time. Um, finances, if they um, own their home versus if they rent, how much money is going out of their check to meeting their basic needs. So we find that um, you start at your basic needs, you look at the Maslow's hierarchy, and you start off with basic needs, which is shelter, food, water, that sort of thing. And then once you have that, then you go to um, higher things. So it might be your mental health. You start to pay attention to that, your relationships, your, your career opportunities, you know, educational growth, that sort of thing. But some people, if you're um, some of the intersection, if you don't have um, your basic needs met, you don't have the energy or you don't, you're not as mindful of your mental health or as your educational opportunities or like growth because you're just struggling and you're stuck in that day to day. Where do those struggles lead sometimes? I mean, you're the, well, you're the voice of experience here <laughs> mm-hmm. for us. They can lead to addiction. They can lead to bad parenting. I mean, because neglect of being there for your children, um, homelessness, because if you can't keep take care of your mental health, you probably can't maintain a job. You can't pay your bills. Um, 
Sometimes it leads to domestic violence, domestic violence um, suicide, which mm-hmm. leaves the kids abandoned, you know, abandoning your kids. So it's so much that it, you know, you get to a level where you don't know where to turn because you got all these, as Deja normally says, when you're out in the community, you have to put your armor on. And if you don't have a place to take it off, it just creates more mental health problems for you. Um, We're coming down to our final uh, minutes here with LaShawn Davis and Deja Middlebrook from uh, Walking Through Solutions. I appreciate this this conversation that we're having here uh, about uh, mental health. Um, I want to maybe just uh, also just continue to explore just reality of, of Buffalo let me, I'll look to you, LaShawn, on the, in this. You know, when you were growing up in Buffalo, you went to Buffalo Public Schools, mm-hmm. and now you're in the schools, you're spending time there as a professional. What do you see? Is, are things different? Are they better? What, how would you describe that? I think um, with the COVID, we had the COVID. So right. before COVID, I seen that, there was a lot of struggle with youth um, and adults because a lot of our teachers in the schools, they have their own stressors and they're coming to work and they're dealing with behavioral problems. Um, and then once COVID hit and we were home, it was hard for kids to come to school. It was hard for parents to maintain, you know, with their kids and work. So now that they're back, it's a lot of kids who missed out on so much. So they, they're 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 showing anger, but they're frustrated because schoolwork is hard now for them. Um, I think it was a shift. So I think now they're trying to put a lot of resources for the students, but a lot of students, we have a, a lot of dropouts. We have a lot of students who are no have poor attendance because they've been home for so long. So to get up every day and come to school is more of a struggle for them. you have any perspective on that? If you don't have your, your mom's uh, vast experience, but you have your own. <laughs> yeah, I think it is challenging. Um, I think we're in a space now where um, we have the Northland Workforce Training Center. We have different um, alternatives to the college setting, um, well, the traditional college setting, um, which gives people more options. Um, I think for a while, especially when I was growing up, there was a big shift to college. And so for me, it fit for me. But I had friends around me who they that environment wasn't for them, but they didn't have other, they weren't aware of other options on how to make a decent living and then life was harder for them so I think now youth are in a good position especially in Buffalo where um, they have this more exposure to different career options their pathways mm-hmm. yeah yep. so finding out about that's that's encouraging to hear that um, you talked about some maybe friends of, of yours who struggled um, during their time uh, any any situations you'd like to, to share like, you know, it's interesting to hear how you say that, you know, that at that time there weren't options necessarily for some of your your friends and and um, maybe classmates. Yeah. So um, going to McKinley. So I went to City Honors before that. So that environment, the, the students that went there, they they typically came from different families who were really more familiar. They had social capital um, and financial <laughs> um, capital. So they. It was more college focused. Some of those, a lot of those people, they went the college route and they were fine. When I went to McKinley, I was born in inner city with, you know, regular everyday youth. And some of them, they did do college. Some of them tried college and then, you know, end up either not finishing or having different um, life situations um, that 
prevented them from going back to college at the time. Um, so I think that that was a challenge for them. And then just to say, like, oh, what else can you do? McKinley was a good place because it did expose them to the trades. But after, but post-graduating from high school, um, the infrastructure in the city of Buffalo wasn't as robust as it is now. So you have the exposure of, like, oh, maybe I want to build houses. Okay. Or I want to do horticulture. Okay. But once you graduate high school, it's like, okay, what do I do? Do I work for someone? How do I get that connection and that pipeline to be able to grow and maybe do an apprenticeship program? That sort of thing to be able to become a certified electrician or that sort of thing. So some people navigated it, but other people, they didn't. And they end up, you know, working at call centers, um, you know, warehouses, temp jobs, that sort of thing. Yeah. we're coming down to our final couple of moments here. Um, let's so we'll take two two questions. One will be is um, how uh, how difficult is the problem right now when it comes to mental health? And I, I want to be you know, specific about the city of Buffalo and it's more specifically about uh, the minority community. How, how significant is the problem right now? I think it's um, it, because it's being talked about, people are more aware of it. Um, and I think that they're more... Um, accepting some of them are more accepting to it it's still a stigma it's a huge stigma but our younger generation is like you know I think I'm depressed I think you know I've been having these thoughts of harming myself they're more more of them are coming out where but I still think it's huge and it needs to be addressed because a lot of people still look at it as you can't tell everybody your business you can't keep it whatever problems you have keep to yourself because it's still viewed as weak and then the other part of it, you use the word robust. There's a robust system or, or or infrastructure that's increasing. Do you guys, do you have hope? I mean, you know, I guess maybe you have to do what, you, what you're doing here. What are you about? What are you about? Are you encouraged about what's ahead? I definitely feel hopeful. Um, as we discussed, like the community is more aware of mental health. I think there is more funding available for agencies that provide mental health, especially around breaking the stigma of mental health, especially with the inner city um, minority community. Um, and then on top of that, I think that more people are like the small businesses in the in Buffalo are growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are more people of color that are like, I'm going to do private practice because I want to focus on this um then also i think the wraparound services piece of different um, programs whether it's in the apprenticeship or workforce training program they are more intentional about having um, wraparound services for people because they know it's not just about getting them a job it's how do you keep that person in the job right right and i think it's a lot more um, opportunities for them i know they have where if you once you become an age of 21, if they cut out where you have to have the college as far as becoming a police officer or a fireman, they'll give you those college credits during the training process, which is excellent. And as Deja mentioned, the workforce that's in the city of Buffalo. So if you didn't finish school, they have the EOC program, which will help you get your GED and then go on to whatever trade or college or whatever you want to do. So we have so many services here now that if a youth is struggling, once they get the services that they need, we can just pick them up and put them in whatever area they're interested in. And there are a lot of incentives for minority and women-owned businesses. Um, and my day job for the city of Buffalo, that's my, that's my specialty. So I think that just having that exposure to say, oh, how can I get City of Buffalo contracts? How can I do this, the 33? How can I do um, the Bill Stadium? That sort of thing. Um, Because that shifts the 
the legacy of your whole family when you get to grow your business in that way. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, uh, LaShawn Davis and Deja Middlebrook, thanks very much for joining us on What's Next. Thank you. Thank you. Deja and LaShawn are with Walking Through Solutions. We've been talking about mental health throughout this episode of What's Next. This is What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.